enthusiastic about the arts. Some are enthusiastic about maple syrup. Yes, they are out there. It's awesome. I love those guys. Right, Mike? Yes. Right, Don? Maple syrup guys. Maple syrup enthusiasts. Some are enthusiastic about reading, believe it or not. And they read, and they like to read, and they talk about reading, and they meet with reading others that like to talk about reading. And that's cool. Personally, I hate reading. But I have to do it all the time. But because I'm so slow, I'm like a snail working through. My wife was like, oh, that was a good book. I'm like, now once I've read it, I got it, but reading's not my forte. So, you know how you can tell when someone's enthusiastic about something? They talk about it. If you like NASCAR, you talk about it. You're enthusiastic about something because your conversation somehow goes all the way full circle and comes back to whatever it is you're enthusiastic about. You know, you, you could be talking about the weather. Oh, man, it's great. Oh, the pollen has been heavy. Oh, uh, this, that, and the other thing. Oh, did you, how did you like that NASCAR race yesterday? <laughs> what? Where did that come from? You see, in the same when it comes to an enthusiastic church, a church that is excited about, about the living Word, the Son of Jesus is in their conversation. Jesus comes up when they're, when they're meeting people and they're sharing. Somehow the topic gets back to the Lord. You see, at this church, they talked about Jesus. They could have talked about any subject. They could have talked about just what happened in Jerusalem. They could have talked about the persecution. But they said everything they discussed came back to preaching, verse 20, about the Lord Jesus. And they preached Jesus. They shared Jesus. They taught about Jesus. And they followed Jesus. Now, again, you would think I would not have to state the obvious. But here it is. Christianity is about Christ. And Christ is not Jesus' last name. It is His title. It is the Messiah, the Anointed One. They were so much talking about Jesus, so much talking about the Anointed One, that it was in this town, this city, they said, boy, you guys are a bunch of little Anointed Ones. You're a bunch of little Christ. And we will start calling you little Messiahs, little Anointed Ones. And that's hence the title was coined Christians. Christ's people, if you will. Or those who are from Christ. If you're uh, from, I was going to say Cyprus, you'd be called a Cyprian, but you're not, it'd be a Cypriot, Cypriot, not Cyprian. But, you know, they, they, the IAN, they put a, you're in, you're in, are you an Indianian? Indian? What are we? Oh, that's why they came up. It means that if you're from New York, you're in New York, I don't know, you're, you're New York. Ohioan, Ohioan, you're somebody. You're a Buckeye, they can't even do it there either. But it, it, it means you're connected to this. They're from Christ. They talk about Christ. They're excited about Christ. So they say, you know what? You're like Christ. You're like Jesus. It's like all you talk about. Everything that, that we hear from you is about Jesus. And you would 
think, like I said, you would not think I would have to state the obvious that Christianity is about Christ. But in our day and age, friends, many churches have lost sight of the fact that Christianity is about Christ. It's about Christ. It's about the Messiah. There was a preacher, I'll not name him, but he was a pastor of a mega church, a very large church on TV show. And one time while on this TV show, they, the one interviewing him brought up his Twitter account. How many do not know what a Twitter account is? Anyone? Everyone knows what a Twitter is? Everyone knows what a tweet is? Anyone tweet illiterate? No one wants to... People are pointing. Okay, I got a couple hands there. Okay, thank you. Thank you for your honesty. I do not have a Twitter account, so don't tweet me if you tweet. But a Twitter account is like sending a text message, but instead of an individual, it goes to a group of people. You follow me? So they send a message, and it goes out to the whole group all at the same time. Your account allows you to tweet. Anyway, like a little birdie told me. Now, when asked about his Twitter account, they pointed out, they said, in the past, it was like a year and a half, out of 12,000 tweets, little messages, out of 12,000, they said, why is it that Jesus was only found? Out of 12,000 messages sent out, they only, he only mentioned the name Jesus three times, and they pointed out it was the previous Easter and this Easter. So only in connection with Easter was Jesus even mentioned out of 12,000. But very calmly, his reply came back to the announcer as this. He stated, I have a broad group of followers, a very diverse group. I want them to keep, I want to keep them engaged, so I limit the things that may offend them. I want to keep them engaged, so I limit the things that may offend them. That is, are you kidding? Really? You're a, a preacher? And you can only bring up the name Jesus out of 12,000 tweets? Because you're afraid that you might lose your, your base following? Well, let me tell you something. If you have a large base following you, my question is, to whom are you following? Because you may be following Jesus, but they don't know that. They don't, they, they don't hear you talk about it. You talk about the things you are excited about. You talk about Let me ask you this question. If the Apostle Paul had a Twitter account today, and he could send out a tweet, do you think he'd only mention Jesus three times out of 12,000? <laughs> Let me tell you something. Paul would have tweeted half the New Testament. You'd be sitting there talking to your friend, a tweet would come in and go, Oh, a tweet? Who's that from? Oh, the Apostle Paul. Let me guess. Something about Jesus? Yeah, he just saved someone. Yeah, he just healed someone. Yeah, he's starting a church up in uh, Eastern Turkey. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it would all be about Jesus, wouldn't it? Now, that doesn't mean that every tweet you send out, if you tweet, has to be about pastor, even of a mega church. And you can only come up three times the name of Jesus? In my humble opinion, there's a problem there. Because the kingdom components that go into a living, vibrant church that loves God and follows the Lord is a church that 
teaches and preaches the Word of God. They're focused on the Word of God, the written Word, and they're focused on the living Word, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because if it is not about Jesus, friends, then my question... If it's not about Jesus, if He is not the center and focal point of our lives, collectively and individually, then what is about? Is it about just being religious? Is it about a social gathering? Is it about uh, doing things in society? What, what in the world are we here for? I know sometimes you might ask that to yourself. <laughs> but if it's not about Jesus, then it's about the wrong thing. The Apostle Paul said, Be ye followers of me, speaking to his followers of me as I am of Christ Jesus. He doesn't just say, be followers of me, but I'm not going to tell you who I'm following because I don't want to offend you. Listen, the gospel of Christ is an offense. The cross is an offense. I will guarantee if you talk about Jesus, somebody will be offended. Now, I will guarantee if you are obnoxious, more people will be offended. So just, be, just offending people does not mean you're being spiritual. I could offend people without even trying. Who said amen? <laughs> Daniel! <laughs> I was going to tell you Daniel's story, but I better not. <laughs> it's funny though. But you know what? Listen. You talk about the one you love. You, you talk about that which you are enthusiastic about Jesus. That's what I love about new, new Christians. You ever meet a new Christian who's on fire for the Lord? I mean, they just got saved. They don't know enough to cool down. They're like, man, oh, man, everything. And you'll say, hey, John, how how'd you like the Colts game last night? That was an awesome win, wasn't it? He goes, oh, man, that was a great game. Hey, did I tell you what happened at church this morning? They just get right around. And somehow you're back on that subject again. Would to God that we would have that enthusiastic excitement about Jesus that we had when we were first saved and first growing, and say, man, light me on fire again, Lord. Help, help my conversations to get back to, to Jesus. And there's so many peripheral things I could talk about. Help me to get it back to Jesus. By the way, our mission's ministry should always be about the Son of God. Praise God for being able to build houses down in Mexico, put in wells in Africa, to help get blood for people in Africa. But all these ministries and missions are for one sole purpose, and that is to introduce them to Jesus Christ. Praise God for Marsha, who's been in Senegal, uh, ministering, rewriting the Jesus film, or helping with the translation of the Jesus film. And, and praise the Lord, that's been a big task, and it's, there's still work to be done, but doing great there. When will she be back, Glenn? July 28th. So keep praying for her in Africa right now. But there she is getting the G's film, helping translate it so that they can hear it in uh, Fungi? Fungi. F-O-N-Y-E-Y-I. F-O-N-Y-I. It's funny, I can spell that, but I can't spell allow. And, uh, I, I really, I conquered the word allow two years ago. I was like, yes. Figure that thing out. Hey. Third God component. Word of God, Son of God, and the hand of God. The hand of God, verse 21. Them. Do you think that's significant? <laughs> yeah. I mean, what good's my hand going to do with you? Nothing. Or your hand. But when the hand of God is with them, that's so significant that a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Now, the hand of God is symbolic. It's, it's not like they said, look at this big hand coming down from the cloud. 
It's not like they saw this. But the hand of God is a symbolic way of speaking about His power and His might. It's when God shows up and shows Himself strong in your life. When we, I like to refer to Him as a, a God moment. Something that, that, that God just showed up and, and all of a sudden, man, look at, look at the mighty hand of God. He's turning and working a situation that only God can do. Bless God that when we see things in our life that are difficult and there's times when we see things that only God can do, when we look and say, you know what? God did it. That was God's hand. As much as I dislike Meneers and absolutely abhor uh, vertigo, they tell me there's nothing you can do about it. I said, oh yeah? There's no cure. Oh yeah? i tell you what, praise the Lord, there is a cure, and His name is Jesus. Amen? I remember I was sitting in a bus driving class one time. They were talking about drinking and stuff, and alcoholism, and there's no cure for it, and, and uh, you know, you've been hooked in a bottle, you're always going to be hooked in a bottle. And you know what? My hand goes... Because I was only like eight months of the Lord. I didn't know you're not supposed to just tell everybody. And I said, I have great news for you. I was there at one time. I had a problem, just like you just described, all of that. But, I, but there is a cure. And it goes, would you mind sharing that with the rest of us? I would love to. <laughs> I said, when I asked Jesus to be my Savior, He took it away from me. And let me tell you something. If there's anything that is going to cure you from being a sinner, it's Jesus Christ, and He's going to make you a saint. Amen? That doesn't mean you're not going to struggle. But He's still the cure that's going to get you through it. Isn't that right? They want you to think you're trapped in it for life. But i got a God who's bigger than any addiction that anyone might have. He's bigger than any addiction. Any cure that, or any issue that they say there's no cure for it. Listen, the hand of God can cure anybody. The hand of God was with them. It speaks symbolically of His power and His might. It also not only speaks His power and might, but also His you. You know the hand of God protects you? <laughs> I, if you don't believe it, drive up and down I-65 a few times. <laughs> you will see the hand. I see God's hand more on that interstate than I have almost anywhere else. I crossed the bridge into Louisville. Louisville? Am I saying it right, Rusty? Louisville? Into Louisville. And I'm in the left lane, and the traffic in the right lane gets off the first exit. Track trailer next to me, I guess they all decide, hey, the whole left lane's getting off. And all the brakes, and then the tractor trailer, just, he starts lighting them up because he's going to slam the car in front of him. And I hear it, and I'm looking... And I see his tractor, and then I see his trailer coming right behind me. And I went right on through. And all I, my mirror, all I could see was track trailer across the entire bridge. I did not cause it. <laughs> I just got through it. <laughs> I didn't even know it was coming. I didn't have time to pray and say, Dear Lord, I just ask that you'll protect me from this track. I didn't have time to pray. Sometimes I do. Another, another time, I-65, track trailer blows the... Jesus help me. And the tread peels off and sticks right to the back little step thing on this track trailer. Boom! Right in front of me. I was like, yes. <laughs> I went around and said, thank you, Jesus. Let me tell you. You can say, well, it's just coincidence. No, you can call it what you want. I call it the hand of God protecting me. He said, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. 
He preserves us. He protects us. He enables us. The hand of God will work in your life to do something that you cannot do yourself. God's hand can unlock a door that seems to be shut. God's hand can make a way where there seems to be no way. When you look and you say, I, I just, I can't get through this. That's what the children of Israel, and here they are down in this box. And here is Moses was the one that, if you will, gave them directions how to get there. And you think they liked Moses at that time? They're like, Moses, what are you doing? There's, how are we going to get out of this? We're in a pickle or, or fix, or I don't know what they call it here now. In the South, they say, we're fixing to get tranched. <laughs> we're, 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 they're fi- oh, he's fixing something down there. We're fixing to get run over by these armies. And, then, and so Moses goes to God and he says, that, that translation means, well, what do I do? And the Lord says, well, just, just lift your staff over the waters, man. And they'll part. Why? Because you've got a really good staff? No. Because you got a really good spread and power. And you say, man, it's Moses. No, because God reached down and went, eh? well, I don't know if water squeaks, but you know what I mean. <laughs> he spreads the water out. And they all went through on dry ground. And that's the other miracle. He not only moved the water, but he dried the ground out in front of them. And then he got it wet behind them because they got bogged down in the mud. Right? That is the hand of God enabling you to do something or go somewhere where it seems to be impossible. There's no way I could do this. Because says, I know, that's why I'm here. None of us like to be in the position where we need a miracle. We're always glad when we see them, aren't we? We want to see miracles. We say, Lord, man, show me a miracle. Okay. But usually what precedes miracle is a disaster or a problem. Something that needs a miracle. You follow me on this? Praise God for the miracles. But the hand of God enables us and empowers us. It's in this bolt. I think I was actually, I think I was changing oil in my car. And I couldn't get that nut, that bolt loose. And I got a wrench on there and... and my four-year-old, Jacob, he wanted to help. So Jake's sitting there in the car looking at him. Can I help you, Dad? And I, you know, at first I was like, no, 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 I got it. But I knew I needed some help. So I said, all right. I put my hand on the wrench. I said, now, put your hand right here. Now, when I say go, you pull. So he goes, I got it ready? Go. And Jacob, I can hear him. Ah! Like a little four-year-old that make all his noises. Like I still do. <laughs> and I got loose. And man, his face glowed like, and I'm like, Jake, you did it, man. That was awesome. And man, I mean, he's just like, oh, that was awesome. That, that just made his little day. But let me ask you a question. Whose hand really loosened that bolt? Who's enabled? It was Jake's father, wasn't it? With God. God can do it without us, right? But He chooses not to. And He says, all I want you to do, just I want to know that your hand's there on me. Put your hand there with me. And when I push, when I tell you to push, you push it. When I tell you to pray, you pray it. When I tell you to go talk to Him, you talk to Him. When I, when I tell you to, to just bring it back around to Jesus, you just bring it around. If I tell you to just, whatever I tell you to do, when I, as soon as I tell you to do it, you do it. And then guess what? God does it 
does the work, doesn't he? The hand of God was with them. And because the hand of God was with them, they his enablement, his help, his healing. I mean, you can go on. His touch is the hand of God that pulls you up when you fall down. It's the hand of God that touches you when you're discouraged and you need comfort. It's the hand of God that pulls you in and embraces you and speaks to you in the middle of the night. The Son of God, the hand of God. And when you, and you make the Son of God your the hand of God upon your life, and when you see and feel and sense the hand of God, you will then know and experience the grace of God. I close verse 23. When Barnabas came and he had seen the grace of God. Barnabas saw the grace of God and was glad. He was encouraged. He was excited. He was excited enough to go get Saul and say, Man, God's grace is all over here. But my question is this. See God's grace. I mean, how do you see God? the hand of God? How do, you, how do you see the grace of God? I mean, you, I'm, I'm talking about things that are pretty nebulous here, aren't I? Like, well, I mean, they're, they're intangible. You can't, you can't touch them. You can't feel it. You can't hold it necessarily. In Florida, they have a tax called the intangible tax. I called them up. I said, what is the intangible tax? Oh, it's a tax you got to pay. I said, I know that part. But intangible means you can't feel it. There's, there's no substance there. Oh, yeah, well, that's true. So what is it that I'm being taxed on that there, there's nothing there you can feel? Well, I don't know. So you're taxing me on nothing. Sounds like it, doesn't it? <laughs> the lady in the Yeah. The only thing that made me feel better is that she had to pay the same intangible tax. Uh, God's grace is intangible in a sense that you don't just see this physical thing. But you see it in transformed lives. In people that are believers that stumble and fall and yet as God says, though you stumble, you shall not utterly be destroyed, for I lift you, I hold you with my right hand. You see God's grace in His willingness to save undeserved sinners and give to them eternal life and everything He has based on nothing that they did, but everything that Jesus did. It's God's grace is His willingness to give to you not only eternal life, but Ephesians 1 says, all the riches of glory. I don't know what all that entails when it comes to God's coffers and God's riches. But I know there's nothing on earth that compares to it. I know that way the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and all that dwell therein. And the whole single sentence, the whole universe is the Lord's, isn't it? It's all, it's all mine. And now it's all yours. Isn't that cool? So not everything he owns. It's like you have a million dollar sin debt and he pays it with a hundred trillion dollars and he tells you to keep the change. What? Is it because I'm so deserving? No. Is it because I'm such a good Christian? I, I want to make sure that you're with me on that one. Is it because God is gracious? Yes. You see, God's grace transforms our life. Our faith activates that grace.
When we trust God, that faith activates the grace. That grace starts empowering us and transforming us and changing us based solely on our belief, not on our behavior. And when you believe God for things, your belief will dictate your behavior. It's not how you behave that dictates how you believe. It's how you believe that dictates how you behave. And when you start really getting a handle on the grace of God, and you believe that everything He does in your life is because of everything His Son did on that cross, and when you believe that everything He gives you in your life is not because you're such a great person and get a five stars and you deserve it all, when you realize that everything He does in your life is not because you're good, but because He's good, let me tell you, then you start and you say, you know what? What shall I say then? Shall I continue living in sin that grace may abound? Because God's grace is always greater than all our sins, right? What's the answer? God forbid. How can I that am dead to sin live any longer therein? Romans 6, 1 and 2. So the point is, God's grace, you can see it. How do you see it? When people started seeing it because their lives are being changed, because say, this is what I believe about God. He's so good to me because He's so good. He's so good to me because, because He loves me so much. He's so good to me because everything His Son did on the cross enables God now to treat me this way. Even though I don't deserve it. You see, Barnabas did not see what well behaved. Barnabas' amazing pouring out of his love and ch- changing and transforming these people. A living, vibrant church, a living, vibrant believer experiences the grace of God, they respect the grace of God, and they showcase the grace of God. Barnabas saw the grace of God. It means to put on display. God saves us. He pulls us out of the dumpster of depravity. He cleans us up, and He puts us in the showcase of His grace. And He says, see that? That's what I can do. And I can do it for you. And for you, and for you, and for you. Man, it doesn't doesn't seem like we're on display, but let me tell you something. Even the angels in heaven watch, and they are amazed at God's grace. You are so gracious to that person, that Tim guy. The angels probably say, Lord, I would have... A long time ago. But you just... Why do you do that? Why are you so good to us? Even when we're so bad. The goodness of God leads to repentance. Right? Hey, I, I'm sad to admit, as our praise team comes, I'm sad to admit, there was a time in my life I used to pray for people like this. Lord, make them miserable until they change. <laughs> Lord, just, just give them a terrible day today until they have to turn to you. Have you ever prayed that? They're like the anti-God type prayers. And God's up there going, Oi, vey, Tim. It's not my spanking hand of God that turns in repentance. It's my gracious goodness of God that turns into repentance. I'll tell you what, you start praying that God just pour out His goodness on people and that they will see it. You'll start seeing God do some amazing things in their lives. They'll just say, Wow. Let's stand together.